There's a British ad that I believe is the most polarising ad of the year. Not necessarily because it's talked the most about worldwide, and not even because it's particularly controversial. Instead, it's because it has captured the attention of the masses. It's an ad that aims to tackle violence against women. And it's an ad that Piers Morgan supports, yet Jordan Peterson hates. An ad that Caitlin Moran praises, while The Guardian condemns. Today, I'm talking with Mike Hughes, consulting director and creative lead at Ogilvy, the team behind the Mate campaign. We'll discuss the origins of this ad, why it was so divisive, and ultimately, if it's worked. All of that coming up after this quick break. The podcast I'd like to recommend today is the D2C pod, brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. The D2C pod is a podcast all about all the things direct-to-consumer. The hosts cover everything from starting, growing, and optimizing e-commerce stores and D2C brands. If you're interested in the stories behind your favorite consumer brands, this is a podcast for you. To start, I'd suggest checking out episode 318, which features the CMO of Feastables. So listen to D2C Pod wherever you get your podcasts. The ad we're going to look at today was launched by London Mayor Sadiq Khan, aiming to tackle violence against women and encourage men to call out misogynistic behaviour by saying, mate. 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 The genesis for this campaign came way back in 2021, during what today's guest calls phase one of the ad. See, the polarising mate campaign wasn't a one-off. It's a series of ads created by Ogilvy, commissioned by the Mayor of London to challenge sexist behaviour by men. To understand what the mate campaign is trying to achieve, we need to look back at phase one of this campaign. Here's Mike explaining that first ad. First, say it's probably the most important biggest piece of work we've done but it it, it's all based in hugely damning statistics 97 percent of women have suffered suffered sexual harassment one woman is killed every three days at the hands of a man added to this as well at the time perhaps still trust in authority especially with the met police trust declined particularly after the deaths of Sabine and Nessa, Sarah Everard. So we found ourselves with the brief from Mayor of London with this as context. The first thing that we knew that we needed to do was take a different approach to what had gone before. If we wanted to be effective, it couldn't just be tell the perpetrator that this is the wrong thing to do because that hasn't worked in the past. We know that it couldn't be about asking women to do something different because One, it isn't their problem to solve. And two, that hasn't worked in the past as well. So we really needed a new approach. And when we we use models of behavior change, and one of the models that we use is called Convi. But it's a really simple framework that is in three parts. And it says, if you want to change behavior, people have to be capable of doing that behavior. So are men who commit misogynistic acts, are they capable of changing that behavior? Well, yes, they are, but they clearly don't. They know it's wrong. Okay, so it wasn't about telling men that it was wrong because they know it is and they're still doing it. The second facet is motivation. Are people motivated to do the behavior? Well, yes, they are motivated to do the right behaviors, but 
clearly they will be drunk they will be sexually aroused they'll be showing off in front of mates at the moment of decision making motivation changed so what that told us was anything that we wanted to do in terms of a wider awareness of this is why you should not do these misogynistic acts wouldn't work because men know that it's wrong and they're motivated by different uh, physiological urges in the moment the third facet of behavior change is opportunities what is the contextual environment with which behavior occurs and that is where we thought we could be most effective so rather than targeting the person whose behavior wanted to change the environment was stretchy that was where we could see opportunities could we target the friends of perpetrators people who witnessed the misogynistic acts to step in and that was a completely new approach and what we had seen uh, to tackle misogyny so we know the bystander effect is real by targeting the bystander effect flipping it if you like to really ask men that when you see you can you can step in the good thing as well with that with asking kind of bystanders and not perpetrators is that there's more bystanders as there's perpetrators so you've automatically got a bigger audience to to work with so that that insight led to the have a word campaign a, a completely new approach based in behavioral science our behavior changes in the presence of others Take one study by Torre, Steinmetz and Decosa in 2022. In their study, participants were more likely to choose healthy food when watched by people outside of their group. When people outside of their friendship group were with them while they were picking food at a cafeteria or off a menu, they would pick healthier options than when they picked alone. In general, we expect more negative judgment from outsiders, so we feel obligated to choose healthy options. We change our behaviour in the presence of others. Another study cited in Dan and Chip Heath's book, The Power of Moments, found something similar. When radiologists met the participants whose x-rays they were scanning, they increased the time they spent looking at the scan and the accuracy of the scan as well. They paid more attention. When nurses assembling surgical kits met a caregiver who would use the kit, they worked 64% longer than a control group and made 15% fewer errors. Bystanders change our actions. This is the bias Mike and the Ogilvy team are using. They know the best way to change the behaviour of a misogynistic man is to change the reactions of those around him. And that's exactly what this campaign aimed to do. Here's Mike walking through the campaign. So it, it starts with men in London on a night out. But we immediately cut to two friends, two female friends. Uh, text me when you get home, okay? I will. See, so we have this tension of we know how this is going to play out. We know we, we can almost feel what's going to happen next. And and as as one of the the ladies waits for a taxi, the men see her, and it's that late night drunken, fueled by kind of ego, drink, arousal. Sweetheart, you all right? You all right, yeah? She ain't listening, man. Go on a crisp. Go on, have a crisp. Go on, have a crisp. And you can see that the approach is starting to get slightly more, there's an edge to it. It's a bit of a moody one, isn't she? A little bit rude, to be honest. God, geez, am I really that bad? That's when it becomes that moment of jeopardy. Okay, 
And, and through all the research that we've done, men instinctively feel this. We feel that something is wrong, that, that our friends or others are crossing the line. Now, this line changes all the time, changes based on context. But that's what the that's what the film gets over so well, that the line has now been crossed. Now this woman is feeling vulnerable. She's feeling on her own. She doesn't know how far this is going to go. He the 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 man now approaches her. And this is where we kind of have the, the, the freeze frame. One of the men in the gang, uh, Jacob, we kind of see his inner monologue and he asks himself questions. Oi, Jacob, you're not going to say anything. You need to say something. This isn't a joke anymore. What? What is it? What is your problem? You've not said one word, no? Come on, bro. You're not so pretty with that face on, you know? What are you doing? And this has been, this has resonated with men. It is through the research that we've done subsequently as well, where men have said, I know it feels wrong and I need to step in. And that's really what it was. This phase one was about awareness of you can be the person to change the outcome of, of this. And he does. And he says, just leave it. And then the taxi comes and we, we see the kind of resolution. The, the, the woman goes into the taxi and it's like, come on, you know, let's go, let's leave it. So just by stepping in, the bystander stepping in, we can change the outcome of more misogynistic acts. If you see it happening, have a word with yourself, then your mates. Rather than trying to get the perpetrator to change their behaviour, something that's been attempted time and time again with previous campaigns, the Ogilvy ad targeted the bystanders. They encouraged the mates around the man to have a word. This approach appears to have worked. The impact in itself showed how just taking a different approach can really resonate with people. I mean, I was kind of getting messages on on linkedin from people go, saying thank you thank you for for showing the situations and the misogyny that we have to put up with and thank you for changing the approach so a 307 million reach and counting three billion impressions shared by the fa universities also added to the un school curriculum as well which is probably the, the again it wasn't kind of on our KPIs, but it is now adopted by the UN and taught in schools. So we can see that just through that different approach, just through that, looking at it through a, a different way, we can be more impactful. It's now seen by millions of students in the UK, in France, in Italy, Sweden and Australia. But importantly, it's effective. 85% of men who had seen the campaign said they did want to call out bad behaviour when they saw it. However, there was still a problem. After the original campaign was, as you mentioned, 85% men said they'd seen the campaign. They said they would call it out. But most importantly, two thirds of men said they didn't know how. So we, so we know that motivation is high, but they just don't know how to. They don't know how to call it out in the moment. And this was, as, as I kind of mentioned the research, then, that feeling that you get when you see it, I want to say something, I don't know what to say. I don't know. So really, phase two is always about finding, okay, so what is that intervention? 
what is that word is it uh is it a song is it an emoji is it something that we can put in a whatsapp group most men who saw the ad didn't know how to call out misogynistic behavior they wanted to but they didn't know how this led ogilvy and mike to phase two of the campaign the mate campaign and we'll cover that after this quick break Finding a service solution that helps you better connect with customers and keep them happy can feel impossible. It's like trying to remember the name of someone you've just met at a networking event. I've made this mistake before, introducing a colleague to my new friend Dan, only to find out his name was actually Ian. Being personal with your customers is important, but keeping on top of all that information can be very hard. That's where HubSpot's all-new service hub comes in. It brings service and success together on one powerful platform for the first time ever. It's got an AI-powered help desk and an AI-powered chatbot that handles frontline tickets fast. Plus, it comes with a customer success workspace that helps reps anticipate customer needs. Plus, it never forgets a first name. All of that can help you scale support and drive retention and revenue. That means better service and happier customers at every stage of the journey. Visit hubspot.com service to do more for your customers today. Okay, welcome back to the show. We are covering one of the most polarizing campaigns of the year, the Make campaign. This campaign stemmed from a problem Ogilvy had identified, that men wanted a way to call out misogyny but didn't know how. Or at least they didn't know how to do so in a way that wouldn't alienate themselves or undermine their friends. Here's Mike explaining the brief they had. So that was the brief. What is the intervention? What is the tool that we can give men to step into more misogynistic conversations? Critically as well for us, we shifted our focus. And we, it, was, it was critically important not, not to use one tool that we thought could change every bit of misogyny. You know, violence acts on tubes need different approaches than they do to misogyny in the group chat. And the research tells us that violence can start with words. Sometimes solve the problem downstream, go upstream, solve the problem. So if we can, if we can start earlier in the journey, if we can get men to call out more of their mates, then we would stop men going on to the kind of drip drip effect of their misogynistic behavior, which then might lead into more serious acts. Low level misogyny is a crude term, but it's, it describes where we were focusing, essentially. So, so that was where our focus always was. And it led to doing a huge piece of research around what men really thought. The problem with low-level misogyny is that it happens in hidden spaces. It's private. It happens in the WhatsApp groups. It happens in pubs. It happens in locker rooms. So we really needed to get into those. Otherwise, men, if we were just to ask men in traditional means, they were going to virtue signal. They were just going to tell us what they thought that they want. we wanted to hear. They were going to post rationalize. They were going to be politically correct. We needed to get past all of that. If men were to help out men, we needed to go, okay, so what do you feel? How might you step in? We did a huge ethnography piece where we went to pubs, we went to gyms, we went to bars, and we sat with men and we got them to, to tell us we used questioning techniques so they could have kind of a psychological safe space to be more honest with us. All of that research was 
21 million words we we analyzed online conversations we then distilled that into a research report but this this one key finding which was that men told us they wanted to call out misogyny with respect and levity not to shame men because that's been done in the past and it's not worked but that men can call it out with respect and it can have a lightness which means that they don't get socially ostracized if they are accused of being the white knight or well you said something last week that was misogynistic so why now are you suddenly no one wanted to kill the vibe of conversations it wanted to be light it wanted to be with respect the creative campaign therefore say mate to a mate just that one word elongating that one word was so important for us we needed a word that was familiar but different there were multiple versions of this campaign but here's the audio from one of the tv ads well, you need to lay down the ground rules straight away. Is that what you did with that girl you took out in Shoreditch? <laughs> well, nah, nah, she, uh, she ghosted me. Probably wouldn't know a good thing if it slapped her in the face. Someone I'd gladly do if I see her again. Mate, what did I do now? Stop! Just stop, man! You can't be saying that, bro, that's serious stuff. Obviously, I'd never do it. Yeah, but just saying it is bad enough, man. You know that. Yeah, yeah, I understand. Say mate to a mate. This campaign aimed to solve the problem identified in phase one, that men knew when they saw misogyny, but wanted a way to call it out that didn't ostracise them from the group. And this campaign, with a relatively small budget, had a massive reaction, both positive and negative. We're still seeing kind of thought pieces, usually in the same publication, of people justifying the work or challenging the work. That kind of notion of we created a national debate is, is bandied about too much. I honestly think that's what we've done. And then we have such unlikely defenders of the work that when we started this project, we would never have thought. But we have Piers Morgan on Talk TV saying how that is the word that he and his friends use, and he defends Sadiq Khan's approach in doing that. Well, that's our target audience. That's who campaigns on misogyny haven't reached before. So actually, if we want to be more effective, those are the, the type of male-dominated groups and spaces that, that we want to change. Catelyn Moran, whose book on, on men and where men currently are and the challenges that they face, has, has just written a piece defending it, saying this is exactly the right approach. No one approach is perfect for anything. And in Catelyn Moran's style, if you don't agree with it, then show us your campaign, which is effective. Where I think some of the, the challenges have come in is people who maybe don't see that word as, as the right word, but it is for men to be used by men. I think some people have seen that it is one word that should use all ranges of misogyny, and that isn't the case. It's just these conversations, these private conversations where men are misogynistic with each other. This campaign is polarising, that's clear. But one thing I hope we can all agree on is that the approach is backed by some fairly smart theory. There is a lot of evidence that shows how giving a behaviour a name or a term makes that behaviour easier to adopt. So by using mate as a byword for you shouldn't say that about a woman, it should make calling out misogynistic behaviour easier to adopt. The most obvious example of this principle comes from the world of marketing. 
if you want people to start buying alcohol earlier in the day, call it a bottomless brunch. By giving it a name and a shared meaning, it makes it easier to justify that behaviour. Saying, I'm going out with my mates to get pissed before lunch, well, that will get you ostracised. But saying, I'm going to bottomless brunch, is, well, widely accepted and celebrated. Or take the term designated driver. Saying, I don't want to drink tonight as I'm driving, could cause some people to to question you or laugh. But saying, I'm the designated driver, well, it helps remove that response. Or look at Black Friday, a term that makes spending an unprecedented amount in one day justified. Midnight screenings is another example. It sounds much better than saying, I'm going to stay awake till 3am to watch a movie. Bloody Marys sound an awful lot better than tomato juice and vodka. And on this exact same line, saying mate to call out misogyny is easier than saying, I think you're being sexist. But this only works if enough people have exposure to the term. It only works if enough men know what somebody means when they say mate. It needs awareness and understanding to become widely adopted. And that's why Ogilvy have also worked with comedians. And a great messenger for creating those edges conversations are comedians. So that's why we work with Ramesh Ranganathan, where he took the word, he developed into a skit. Suddenly, then it gets into language and it becomes shared. People don't feel like they're being spoken to. They feel like they're joining the conversation from it. I think we've got ourselves into a situation where somebody might be talking to a woman and they say something inappropriate and we don't call it out enough. So, for example, you know, just going, mate, saying that is rank. Or, mate, she doesn't want to talk to you anymore. Or, mate, you need to move away from her. I think that's something we should be doing more of. And I am imploring you to, whenever you see anything like that, you throw them a mate and you let your friend know if they carry on behaving like that, they're not going to be your mate much longer, okay? That clip from Ramesh has 3 million shares, so it is working to some extent. This use of linguistic relativity, giving something a name, hopefully is making calling out misogyny easier to adopt. But will it ultimately be successful? Well, we'll have to wait and see. The campaign so far has been incredibly polarising supported by Catelyn Moran, but ridiculed by The Guardian, praised by Piers Morgan, but criticised by Jordan Peterson. I can't think of a campaign that has split the opinions of so many, and split the opinions of those within their own echo chambers as well. This isn't a left versus right-wing debate, it's polarising for everyone. But ultimately, if the term mate goes beyond TV ads and news articles and truly becomes a term that people instinctively get and understand, like designated driver then it will become a much-needed tool for men to use when calling out misogyny. Okay, that is all for today, folks. I really hope you enjoyed today's episode. I'm so glad I got to chat with Mike about this campaign. I remember seeing the billboard version of this ad back in summer, and it's one of the few ads that have genuinely stuck in my head for days. I wasn't surprised when I saw it being covered by news sites and influencers, although I was surprised by how polarising the response was. Particularly, though, it is great to see behavioural science principles informing a campaign that is so noteworthy on a topic that is so hard to tackle. Let's hope it works. I want to say a huge thanks to Mike for coming on the show. If you want to get more of Mike, then you can follow him on LinkedIn. He's Mike Hughes on there. I've left a link to his LinkedIn in the show notes. And I've got good news. Mike will be back on Nudge for a future episode where we discuss four more behavioural science-backed campaigns that Ogilvy have run over the last 12 months. It's a cracker. 
you will not want to miss it. So to make sure you get access before anyone else, sign up to my newsletter. Just head to nudgepodcast.com and click newsletter. If you sign up, you'll get notified straight away about new episodes. Plus, you'll get a behavioral science tip every single week. As always, I'm your host, Phil Agnew. I love hearing what you think about these shows. So reach out to me on LinkedIn or email to let me know. I'll see you next week for another episode of Nudge. Cheers.